Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier. And this evening we're going to discuss moving forward in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And one of the ways to do that is by focusing on the Lord. In the book of Joshua, first chapter, the Lord is giving Joshua very specific instructions. And as word to Joshua saying that he's always going to be there for him. But he encourages Joshua saying these things. And this is in verses 5 through 9. He says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give the people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I bring up focusing on the Lord, or I feel led to bring up focusing on the Lord, because these are the words to Joshua. And we got to remember a few things about Joshua. Even when Moses was leading, it says very specifically that Joshua never left the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle of the Lord. He remained in the Lord's presence. But here, as he's entering into leadership, the Lord tells him, or the Lord instructs him, I should say, to focus on him and on his word continually. And it's a a message for all of us on how we are to grow. Now, yes, there are additional promises in there, like being bold and courageous or strong and courageous, because it takes strength to do those things, to focus on the Lord, to focus on his word, putting our faith, our hope, our trust in the Lord, being obedient, which demonstrates our love and our faith to our heavenly father. Because here's the other aspect of that. When we shift our focus off of the Lord, it provides the enemy a place to tempt us and to be drawn away by our own lusts. Not only for those in leadership, this applies to everyone, regardless of position or place of influence. So we can look at 1 Samuel Chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. And in chapter 8, you'll find that Israel is demanding a king. But it's what they say, their reasons, their attempts to justify their excuses or rationale, reasoning behind why they want a king is what matters. And they say this. They said 
this to Samuel. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. When they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So did everybody get that? Their excuse, their reasoning, rationale, what they used to attempt to justify not focusing on following the Lord was that they wanted a king to look like all the other nations. But that came as a result of what? Not following the Lord from the first place. Not giving the Lord, our Heavenly Father, and His Word focus in first place in our lives. But looking to the left or to the right. Because when that happens, we start comparing and contrasting. And this happens at every age. It doesn't matter if it's a, a little child or if these are grown adults. There is an oft, there's an often used excuse that's used in an attempt to justify. Are you ready for it? How many times have you either used or your child, children, have used the line, but fill in the blank, so-and-so, or they're doing it. Isn't that exactly what's happening here? The desire was to be like all the other nations. So again, we see that they shifted focus and were comparing and contrasting, looking for what they thought they were missing or missing out on. Where the Lord, who actually knows everything, just wants us to trust him and his word. And what do we see in here? He, if we continue to read that, the Lord provides a warning of what the, a king will be like. And he gives them all these examples of what would happen under a king. And then in verse 19 and 20, he says this, Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Which is really interesting when you get down to the core of it. So not ever having experienced having a king over them, they all of a sudden 
if we look at what's being said here, we're subject matter experts as to what a king should say and do. What the king was, what the king that they selected was going to do for them. But isn't that always the case in the natural? Isn't that always the case when we shift our focus? We always have these quote unquote illusions of grandeur as to what we think these things will be like. But it's also interesting how, if we really consider this and get down to the core of it, it's always the best outcome. But then also, we never want to stop experiencing the blessings and benefits of the Lord. There's always this expectation that they will just continue. Even though we've been in opposition to the Lord. That somehow the Lord will just continue that and just give us what we want. Which is a, a sad state of affairs. But we have to recognize these things in our own life because it starts with me. If our Heavenly Father is actually my Father, and I am actually His child, then I should revere what He's saying. This is what the Lord looks for in every, every scenario, in every situation. If we go to Jeremiah 35, the Lord is talking to Jeremiah, and He gives him these Amazing instructions to bring in people into the temple. Actually, we'll just read the first 11 verses. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jazanai, uh, excuse me, Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habaziniah, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdalia, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper, then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups. And I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you or your sons forever. You shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rahab, our father, and all that he commanded us, not to drink wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, not to build ourselves houses to dwell in, and we do not have vineyard or field or seed. We have only dwelt in tents and have obeyed and have obeyed and have done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against us, 
or came against the land, we said, Come and let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans and before the army of the Arameans. So we have dwelt in Jerusalem. And it's really interesting there because the Lord asked them to do something, or asked Jeremiah, excuse me, to do something and invite them in. Now, it doesn't say that they had the Rechabites had a relationship with the Lord. But it's interesting that the Lord, our Heavenly Father, knew who they were. And not that there was a test, because again, it doesn't say that the Rechabites knew who the Lord was. But they were invited in. They just saw a man saying, hey, here, have this drink. But the word of their father that they had followed the whole time rose up within them. And the Lord honored that. He said, we have followed this because our, our father said so. But there's another interesting thing to recognize when we get down to it. The guidance and the instruction given to their, the Rechabites, by their father dealt with the issue of drunkenness and and all these other things. But he dealt with it all the way, or it was dealt with, the issue was dealt with all the way down to the seed. So that no seed could be planted on an issue, or there would be no issues stemming from this thing in their lives at any time. He said, not only don't partake in this, he said, don't even grow this, don't even grow a vineyard for yourself. Have this completely removed from your life. And they honored that. And the Lord honored them because they were honoring the guidance, the wisdom, the instruction of their father. And he actually makes it a point, the Lord does. If we continued reading, He said, hey, this is in verse 14, the words of Jonadab, the son of Rahab, when he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed, so they don't do it to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But then he compares and contrasts Judah, his own, the Lord's own people, and says, but I've spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. And also I've sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, Turn now every man from his evil way, and amend your deeds, and do not go after other gods to worship them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your forefathers. But you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. The Lord is making it abundantly clear what's required. And in this, he's instructing us to uproot the excuses that we have, that we have in our lives. Why is it that we, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, up to this point, has not made herself ready, but on the whole, in generalized terms, We keep looking to the left or to the right instead of focusing on the Lord and preparing ourselves and saying, 
Well, they're doing it. And allowing, or I'll say in this way, compromising our self and our relationship with the Lord. Making excuses and trying to justify it. It's an often repeated excuse. We need to break that cycle. And here's the why. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's only one verse needed. It's the first verse. Paul is addressing, the Apostle Paul is addressing the church at at Corinth. And he says this, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. And immorality of such a kind does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. So I have a a question. If we, the church, keep looking at the world and saying, well, they're doing it. Well, they're doing it. At what point, or how can it be, that the excuse given of, well, they're doing it, has been exceeded or surpassed. And do we understand the fullness of what's happening here? Because it's exceeded, it's gone beyond the, well, they're doing it. Well, no, they are not doing it. The unrighteousness, the wickedness, has surpassed even that of the Gentiles, of the nations. And not only that, but when we get down to the core of it, let's understand this in full. That would mean that the church is now teaching the world new ways in which to sin. Placing new stumbling blocks in their path to make it more difficult for them to turn to the Lord. Let that sink in for a moment. We, on the whole, have looked at the world and said, well, they're doing it, and compromised ourselves. Because the world then looks back at us and says, well, they're also doing it. They, the world, is looking to us to be different, but instead we're looking, have looked more and more like them. So what then is the reason, from a natural-minded perspective, that they should change? Are we not giving credibility to what they're doing? Or at least is that not what's perceived in their mind? As opposed to following the instruction of our Heavenly Father to be holy because He is holy. To be bold and courageous in being holy as He explained to Joshua. As Samuel walked in, even though his sons did not, the people recognized the difference. The people recognized 
that Samuel's sons had compromised themselves and were not walking in the way, the Lord's way, as Samuel did. And it only added to their perceived excuse or attempted justification for their own actions. But the Lord still viewed it for what it was, an excuse, a rejection of him. And this is a cycle we have to break. We have to choose to follow the Lord's standard. To pursue him, to keep our focus on him for everything and with the entirety of our being to, as the saying would go, hold fast to his heels. Focused on him. This is how we move beyond where we have been, but also how we eliminate being drawn away by our own lusts, giving the enemy a foothold with which to tempt us with our own lusts with our own desires. We have to desire to have the Lord and focus on Him that He would have first place in our life. Living this out as an example, as a living epistle before the whole world. It's what's required, is it not? Not that we can do this of our own flesh or our own strength, can only be done through the leading of the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter. It says very plainly that those who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Well, comforter, or paraclete, as he's often referenced, but comforter is what the Lord promised. Comfort is not always defined as this warm, fuzzy blanket. Comfort and comforter is also, if you would study out history and look at the definition, definition is also one that is prompting to get us moving on the path for which we should go. As I said about history, if we study out the the Battle of Hastings, there's a tapestry that, that commemorates the battle, and it says very plainly, Underneath it, King William comforts his troops. But when you actually find King William on the tapestry, he is prodding his troops by poking an arrow or sword or whatever it is into the rump of one of his own soldiers. Because when they're all moving, they're bringing about change into the environment and the atmosphere to help bring in the victory. And I know that may be a little harsh because we've not always thought of it in this way, but let's look at it in Matthew 5. You'll recognize this or know this verse from the section of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. But it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, many times we've often interpreted that, or that scripture has often been interpreted as 
those that quote-unquote go along with the flow, that aren't swayed or moved one way or another, that are able to get along with everybody. But that's not the Lord's view of this. As we just said, those that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. And yes, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and He also can, at times, act like a warm, fuzzy blanket and just hold us and let us know that everything is going to be okay. But the Lord also says, peace, my peace I give you, or my peace I leave you. I give you my peace, not as the world gives. Well, he's also talking about the Holy Spirit who prompts us. So to be a peacemaker would denote that we have to walk in the power and moving of the Lord through Holy Spirit, being led by him, being guided by him. That's how we come to a place where we are called the sons of God, where we are conformed to the image of Christ, because that's the exact way Christ moved and operated in this earth. He was led by the Spirit in all things, so that he only said what the Father said to say. He only did what the Father did. How and when he was led to say and do whatever it was that the Father wanted him to say and do through the leading of Holy Spirit. This is how we break the cycle. This is how we eradicate or eliminate that excuse from popping up in our lives in an attempt to justify our own actions, attitudes, and behaviors. But this is also how we enter into a more personal, deep, and intimate relationship with our Lord, where we're able to have Him reveal those things to us that pertain, yes, to our lives, but also minister to the needs of others. So I just want to encourage you to focus on the Lord, to continue to focus on Him, and not look to the left or to the right, but to dwell on Him day and night, on His Word, which is Jesus. He is the living Word. And it's not just what's written, but it's also what is spoken, what He is speaking to you, to learn His ways and His thoughts, to be a bride prepared for the bridegroom, to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. So I'd like to thank you all for joining us this evening and for continuing to stand for righteousness and doing justice. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.